Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Mailbag, where we answer your questions to help you with your team this 2023 season. My name is Damo, and Clarky is also here. How are you, my friend? Look, the D's won, and I picked this captain score that was okay, but not great. So everything is kind of right in the world. Speaking of captain scores, I, I ripped into Lechdog because he took McRae's 114 and his vice captaincy score. And I thought I could do better than that. And then Laird scored 114. So well, it wouldn't be super coach if you weren't struck down by your own hubris. It has been a bit of a strange start to the season so far, though. Players we paid up for aren't quite doing what we expected. Mid-prices are bucking the trend and rookies are regularly scoring 80s, 90s, tons and, you know, good scores. I'm sure the season will eventually settle down, but what stood out to you so far? I think this season is, it's kind of reminding us that sometimes we need to just give a player another week before going out of them. Um, particularly, my, my harsh lesson was uh, moving on Will Day in favor to Nick Dacos, which thankfully overall has kind of worked out for me. But I've got to be honest, seeing him score that 139 and doing all the things that I wanted him to do in round one um, was kind of painful because I was like, that that could have been me. Um, I should have just been patient. I should have just held that in. But, you know, it's, it's I think it's really teaching us a little bit, a little bit of discipline, a little bit of patience because it's, like you said, everything's up and down. One player will score 50 one week. It's going to score 130 the next week. It's been all over the place. I mean... One thing that stood out to me is it feels like the value options that we were looking at before the preseason games are proving to be value options. Like Tom Mitchell didn't look great in the preseason games, but at 520k or whatever he was to start the season, he would have been a great starting selection. So it's, I mean, it just shows that the preseason games cloud your judgment more than to help you really. Yeah, that's it. And, you know, he's on a pretty consistent run at the moment as well. And like you said, maybe maybe we should have just been patient. Just let that play itself out. For sure, for sure. Well, there's injuries, suspensions, strategy, questions, lots to get into. Okay. So let's get into the questions. Let's do it. The first one comes from Pato SCCC on Twitter. He wants to know, do we think... 36 trades has been too much. Too many people are pulling the trigger on players they'd give time to in previous seasons. So this kind of goes back to what you were saying, where we just need to give players another week to kind of settle into their role. And um, I don't think 36 trades is too much. I think people have seen it as as, as a ticket to fix their team without going into that, going into trade deficit. People are still trying to manage their team as if they've only got the 30 trades they're like in previous seasons. So people have seen have seen the first two or three rounds as, cool, let's use six trades to get my team to where I want it. Now I've seen all the data that I can. So I think the extra trades, I think the extra trades weren't necessary per se, but it has attracted a new, a new flavor of person to try super coach the thing about it right is and and this this might be controversial 
Um, but I, I think complaining, or not not complaining, but having an opinion on 36 trades, obviously more trades than it's been increasing historically over the last few years. It's It's totally fine, and I understand where people are coming from with it. But also, it's kind of... There are these things that Supercoach need to do or want to do to, A, make the game more open and, in some ways, less of a wall of difficulty. So, you know, maybe, you know, brother, sister, friend, co-worker or whatever, might be easier to get them in because you don't go, well, you've only got 30 trades, which used to be right on the line of what you could probably get through with, and even then was still difficult if you had a bad season. Um, so 36 means too much. I think it just changes the way that we look at the game and the way that we value information. You know, it's I've, I've spent the last five years of listening to other great Supercoach content creators and, you know, being a part of Jock Reynolds as well, and we talk about the value of a trade, and that value has started to shift, which makes the whole economy of the system work differently and it's given us options to take it, be a little bit more risky in some places and to maybe go a bit early and to sort of, it it changes the way that the race works. And I think that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I understand as well that different isn't always necessarily better, but you know, I can, I can definitely understand the opinion on both sides. I don't think 36 trades is too much. I've been enjoying the season so far, even with all the, the ups and downs and, you know, I'm not doing as great as I'd hoped I would be doing, but I'm definitely clawing my way back there. So and it, it's it's about how the season shakes out. It's amazing how little amount of points is separating the top thousand from like 50,000 this year. It's like one bad captaincy call, one wrong rookie on the field seems to be seems to be the difference a lot of the time for, you know, how you're going compared to someone else. And I've seen teams that are, I, I saw a team that was ranked number one and I literally had three different players in the, like from the entire team. So I don't know. I don't know how he's number one and how I'm where I am. Good luck to him, but clearly he's, captained the right player, had the right rookie on the field, t- pulled the right loopholes, all those sorts of things to get to where he is. And it's really quite interesting how similar the team is to mine because, or to probably a lot of other people's because it just shows how little differences there is between the top and the, the top team and, and teams down the rankings a bit. So has 36 trades been too much? I mean, people are chasing points a bit more now, but you got to be careful with what you do with the trades. And like Clark, you said, Clarky, it's about how you use the trades, not how many trades there is. And it just means that there's a new strategy to it now. I think the funny thing as well, and I don't know if I'm alone in this demo, but I definitely, I'm trying to look back and find it now. Um, the round one team of the week for Supercoach. I I definitely feel like I couldn't think of a single person I spoke to that wasn't like, that team, I would never, like, you know, I would not have thought to think some of those, start some of those people. And that's kind of brilliant in in its own way. Like, the game, the game is 
based on a real life sport that is not predictable. Like oh. if you had said to me, oh, the team that's going to score the most points in round one is going to start Liam Stalker, Luke Ryan, Matt Rowell, Chai Newcomb, as well as like, you know, even Horn Francis and Sam Flanders are in there. Like well, I would, I would have laughed. Have you, I don't know if you remember, there was, a guy who had the number one team in round one back in, I think it was 2019 or something. And in his back line, he had captained Jamie McMillan, who scored like 148 points. It's like, that's like, no one would have done that. So like some like there are footy people out there whose minds work in brilliantly, wonderfully weird ways that, that you know, we just have to accept. That, like people get to the same, people get to the destination d- different ways. So I guess to answer the question, has thirty six trades been too much? Yes and no. It depends on what strategy you're using. So if you're going by the old strategy, you, there's probably six trades too much. You probably have some luxuries there. If, um, blues for for spoon. I've just found the team name. Sorry, Lech won't be happy about that. But I hope you're going well out there, mate. But. Like Pato says, too many people are pulling the trigger on players they give time to in previous seasons. So our next question comes from Brenton saying, what do we do with Finn Callahan? Hot topic of hot topic this week, because a lot of people are seeing him as the potential, as the potential like uh, scapegoat to, to, send to the slaughterhouse to get the money to move Decam up to a Tim English or someone the first you, one. Know, you know, in that um in that sort of price range. But who who are you trading down to? Harry Ralston probably doesn't get that much game time because Harry Perryman's not too far away. Does Finn Callahan hold his spot for too much longer? His break even goes down after this week as long as he scores his projected. And Clarky, me and you were talking before the pod. Most teams are coming up against teams where it's kind of going to be a high scoring super coach round. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I I definitely <laughs> it's it's a tough one to think about it because the matchups this week, like the, the absolute, like the, like a lot of people had some really tough matchups. Like that we're all talking about Finn Callahan as well. He's, he's a victim of, he dislocated his shoulder. Was it like literally last week? It was not, there was no dislocation. It was just a stinger. He seems to still be feeling something from that. I kind of get the vibe, but they've kind of put him in a little bit of cotton wool. Um, I, <laughs> I agree with you. I think GWS have a pretty favorable matchup this week against Essendon. Like Essendon aren't a team that are known for really negating apart from Sam Draper. Um, so maybe affects Matt Flynn owners, but I think from a midfield perspective, you know, Essendon, the Essendon average against mids is 75. So that's totally achievable. Finn Callahan with his break even of 61. I think it's easy to make a case to upgrade someone this early, but it could be the round for holding. I think Lex said it in the main pod, um, or in the other pod, whatever you want to call it, and 
it could, this is traditionally, this is kind of the week where you're like, all right, price rises, let's see what shakes out. I think if you're going to hold on to a player and give them one last chance, this round is the round to do it. Personally, I yeah, I've I've also been the the more fun option <laughs> is to do what I'm thinking of doing and just trading him straight to Cozzy Pickett uh, because Melbourne are playing West Coast. But I'm probably not going to do that. It, it just makes sense to hold a one third. Like he's got shown as well. He's got the ceiling. He's got 101 in that first round. 45. He cops the stinger and was pretty much out for the better part of a quarter. So. You know, you add in that extra quarter, he probably makes that, you know, 60, 70 range. He he actually scored that 45 pretty much only in two quarters because yeah. he scored because he, cause he scored because I think it was like 20 points at quarter time against West Coast after that first quarter. Cops that stinger in the second quarter, kind of tests it out at half time, and then comes back on a fair way into the third quarter. And then in the fourth quarter is when he is when he scores another 20, 25 points. So the scoring ability is there, and 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 the confidence is re- is returning. It's just a matter of you know him playing and getting more confident in that shoulder because he has had shoulder issues in the past, and that could be contributing to how GWS are using him and how they're managing that for him. But there was no injury. There's no reason for him to miss games. It's just. Put him in cotton wool for the game against Carlton. Let's see how he goes this week against Essendon. Give him one more chance. If he doesn't quite reach his break even, he's not going to lose too much money. Agreed. Bryce has asked, what's the deal with Andrew Brayshaw? Gee, Bryce, wouldn't I like to know? This one's for you, I I suppose. (laughs) I mean, watching him on the weekend, it was quite clear that when he gets tagged, or if he gets tagged, he's happy to kind of leave the centre bounce setup. He's he's happy to to play one step back from the contest to kind of make his to to kind of remove his opponent from the game. So he's kind of doing like a reverse tag on his opponent. That doesn't mean that he doesn't win the ball and doesn't get the ball. It just means he's a bit more rushed with his disposal. His opponent doesn't quite get the positioning that he's his opponent wants. It's it's all very interesting to watch. Um, I was watching it against West Coast when I think it was Andrew Gaff that was playing on him. Andrew Gaff was ha- was kind of with him at the stoppage, but then Brayshaw would kind of remove himself away from the center clearance once the ball was bounced. And Gaff had to make a decision whether to follow him or, or to go his own way. And a lot of the time, Gaff would just follow Andrew. And it meant that both of them were out of the contest and Rachel did not get any points for that specific bit of play. Once all the West Coast had all their injuries, Rachel's score started going up. I think he scored like 50 points and a half. So the scoring's there, but it's a matter of him managing a tag. And, and instead of trying to break the tag like he has in previous seasons, he's kind of doing the, doing the selfless thing and, and taking himself away from the contest to allow someone else to move the ball. You heard it here first. No, I have no, I have no notes on that. I trust your your analytics. Um, Caleb Sarong's doing well though. 
he is doing well. I actually considered him as an upgrade target, but I want <laughs> but I, 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 I want to see him do it more because he's done it. But he, he's had purple patches before. But I need to see. I, I need to see. He passes the eye test, and he's got some good scores. I just need to be confident that he's the one. Braden wants to know: Do we need to trade Sam Doherty? Um, no. We we touched on this on the main pod. Uh, people are trading out premiums that people are going to be wanting to trade into their teams in a few weeks' time. In saying that, though, if trading a Sam Doherty allows you to get a Clayton Oliver and a Tim English, in my mm. friend's situation. <laughs> Then, then, then maybe you could do it. I mean, but as Lex said, it's going to be a case of how what happens to his role when Sam Walsh returns. Lex seems to be pretty confident, and I trust him with Carlton stuff that Sam Doherty will return to his usual scoring self in his usual scoring role once Sam Walsh returns. So, do you need to trade Sam Doherty? No, you don't. It's just a matter of if you're happy to write out his scores until Sam Walsh returns. So I own Sam Doherty. Uh, I I am one of these friends that goes to another school of yours that have super coach teams. Uh, I, I don't think you should, uh, even if it gets you a Clayton Oliver um, or it's Tim English. I'll maybe, I, I think maybe I could see universe of that works because you have to get from Darcy Cameron up to somebody, which is a whole it's, it's the whole reason why Darcy Cameron was such a difficult pick to start because you knew that if anything went wrong, you'd have to go up. Sam Doherty got, what is it, 39 disposals at a terrible disposal efficiency. Sub-70, sub possibly even you know around the low 60s. We're, just quickly, we are so happy to accept that, Mark and Bo- that Marcus Bontempelli scored 89 <laughs> with... Going at like forty five percent against Brisbane, but people are trading out Doherty for pretty much the same reason. And I mean, I'm in that boat, but it's I'm not trading out Doherty because I don't want to keep him. I'm trading out Doherty because I don't because there's no other options around around Darcy Cameron's price that I can get to. Have you considered Matt Flynn? No. Okay. Um. I, Gi- yeah, look, Giants Ruckman scare me. <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, I don't look. I don't think we should be trading Sam Doherty because of his scoring. He's had thirty nine disposals at low efficiency. If any other day, any other game of the week, he raises that disposal efficiency, that's a hundred and twenty game. Like that's that. He's copying so much of the ball, and he's usually such a beautiful user of it. I think maybe, you know. And I think like kind of touched on it a little bit in the other podcasts, but you know, his role has slightly shifted to a more mid focus role. The volume of disposals is a lot higher and the pressure to dispose of it um, as a midfielder is a lot higher than coming out of defense in, in some ways, because you're kind of in and around the contest, whereas he's not sort of clearing it and trying to move the ball and has a little bit more, you know, those extra split seconds to think he's boot to ball, hand to ball, to get it out and to get it moving forward. And they trust him to do that and they'll continue to trust him to do that. When Sam Walsh is back, that's another person 
in that midfield rotation who buys Sam Doherty time to use the ball well. I don't even think... I think he will be a core part of that midfield unit when Walsh does return still, possibly slightly reduced, but his efficiency and stuff will be a lot better. But like we said, like, like you said before, we're willing to accept that Bont can have a bad game. Why not Sam Doherty? I know he's had a couple of rough weeks, but there's there's been factors that contribute to that. And if you think he's a top 10, if you think he's even a top six, then, you know, coaches coaches panel say this a lot, and I, I have come around to sort of adopting the same mindset. The price, like, you know, his price rise or fall only matters if you're buying or selling. If he's a keeper, then you're writing that out, you know, for better or worse, because at the end of the year, you want him to be in your team. So there's no point jumping the gun to get rid of him because even when you know, in your case, Damo, in what you're saying, I, I can see how that works as part of an overall strategy. And But you have to be willing to cop that and understand, well, look, I'm chasing Clayton Oliver at probably his highest point. Like, I know he was meant to be losing money, according to some people in the preseason, but, you know, he's at his highest price. He's not really going to go that much higher than seven. If he has another 150 week, maybe. But you're going to be able to obtain him at some point, you know, whether he gets rested or just has a game where he moves around a bit more. So, And, and Seb Coops has asked a question which kind of brings this whole discussion in, into into yep. to light. He's asked, are we playing a dangerous game, sacrificing legit options to repair other parts of our teams, like I've done, but we'll move on a lot of people who need to replace Darcy Cameron are considering downgrading mid prices or premiums to find the cash to get a legitimate option. What do you do? I have sacrificed a legitimate option to repair another part of my team because I needed to find a way to replace Darcy Cameron with a legitimate option. In, in doing this, I have found another avenue to also fix another part of my team, which was hemorrhaging points that I probably that I that I that I needed to have on, on my field. I my team, my t- I said to someone a few weeks ago, my team wasn't doing badly, but it seemed to be one premium score away from everyone else, and I got advice from a couple of people who said. I'm missing that premium that always pumps out 120 plus scores most weeks. And that's where I was missing the points. And after thinking about it, after sitting on my team for a week, it became quite clear that that was actually the issue. And so, yes, I am sacrificing a legitimate option to repair another part of my team, but in the long run, it's actually going to make my team stronger. Yeah, I think, I think you have to really understand how that trade is affecting your long-term strategy. And I know that, you know, it's, I'm not a person who's notorious for having a long-term strategy, but sort of understanding all the moving parts of your team and seeing where that falls into it. The Darcy Cameron situation is pretty much, let's be honest, it's the worst case scenario for owners. It's, you're in a space that we knew Darcy Cameron was an awkward price. He didn't. He only got a little bit of his price rise that he was going to get in the in the long run without injury, and you you have you're going to have to pay up now. So it makes 
the defensive line at the moment makes sense where the mid-price options and some of the rookie options are the most viable to bring in an English, bring in a Wits, bring in even a Nankervis um, or Riley O'Brien, whoever whoever your Ruckman of choice is. Um, so I think it, it is a dangerous game. Like we, we know that, but as it's, it's an unprecedented, you can't predict an injury. You can't predict, you know, low efficiency. It's as I've said earlier, it's a game based on a real life sport. So, you know, I don't, it, it's dangerous. And it's part of that risk that you accept when you pick Darcy Cameron. It's part of that risk you accept when you pick Sam Doherty at 600k. You go, well, there's probably a point that he's going to lose his money and go all the way down to 550. Um, Tom Stewart as well. Same thing. It's, you know, it's about writing that out. So I think at this point, my suggestion would be Sam Doherty is an easy way to get yourself to Tim English if, you have, if you're a Darcy Cameron owner. If you have no real reason to trade Doherty other than you want some more points. I probably wouldn't worry about it and write it out. You're playing that. It's, it is a dangerous game to sacrifice legit options to repair, but you know, sometimes you have to do it. So, sometimes you just have to do it. You kind of have to see the forest for the, for the trees when you're yeah. making trades for your Sorry, team. I rambled. No, that's all good. I <laughs> summed it up for them. Thank you. Holy shit. We actually checked the email this week. Yeah. Jebs has asked, Will Day or Jack Buckley as a defensive option? If Will Day keeps getting the midfield rotations at Hawthorne, I think that he's a better option than Jack Buckley, purely because Jack Buckley's not an accumulator, and he relies on his ball use to get the scores that he's been getting. I think... Uh, I think on the weekend he only got something eleven or twelve disposals, but he ha- but a few of them were were like long kicks, and he actually found a target. He took a few inset marks. There's going to be a game where 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 he drops you a twenty, and it's Brennan Cox all over again. <laughs> I talked so many people out of Brennan Cox, and look what happened. Bless him. Jack Buckley's break even though is in the negatives. So he doesn't have to, so he doesn't have to score much to actually make money and be a good option. But if you're looking for someone to have longer term, Will Day appears to have the role to be able to score well for your team and could be a cheaper option that you eventually move to the bench as as a, as like a D7 loop option later in the season. Yeah, for for further background on Jeb's question, he is spending the money after making another trade to bring in uh, Tim English, he has a Darcy Cameron owner. Um, I agree with you. Will Day is the better option long-term for consistent role. They want him to play in the midfield. We've always known that Will Day will score well if he gets significant midfield rotations. So this is kind of the time. Jack Buckley gives you, um, you know, obviously more cash because he's lower priced, but is the long-term production there? I don't know. To be to be perfectly honest, I don't know. I'd rather go with Will Day because the data suggests, even though and even though he's had his first big price rise, the data suggests that he will continue to score well if the role remains, which the Hawthorne rotation seems to, you know, be he's a part of that. 
Clarky. Yes. Mitch Shanton wants to know, which trio would you rather have? Marshall, Doherty and Hopper? Or English, Stuart and Chandler? I think I prefer English, Stuart and Chandler. Purely because English scores points for fun. Tom Stewart scores points for fun. And Kay Chandler's scoring points for fun and making you money. Yeah. It's... They're all good. They're all good dogs, Brent. But, yeah, it's got to... Like, English is too hard to pass up as a ruck option. Like, he, he just makes up. Chandler is playing... He's a good footballer, and I'm glad that that good boy is getting some games. And Stewart is Tom Stewart. So... One thing I really hope, though, I hope you're not trading Marshall, Doherty, and Hopper to English, Stewart, and Chandler. I think those are the two options. Possibly, look, Mitchell, we love you. Thank you for the question. Uh, there wasn't a lot of context to your trip, though, and I, I also appreciate the succinct question. So, from the sound of it, it's one or both of these options. So, it possibly didn't start Marshall. Maybe a Brody Grundy and I'm going to invent my own narrative. Mitchell owns Brody Grundy, and he's going to be really happy for the next three weeks uh, owning English and Brody Grundy. Oh, wow. Yeah, so if you're trading to these players, I would go English, Stewart, and Chandler. If you're trading from Marshall, Doherty, and Hopper, I would hold. Yeah. Yeah, I think Marshall has had a rough run. Um, I have been... I personally have been going through the trying times this week. Uh, me constantly bothering Damo going, I want to trade Marshall because I could get Jared Witts and he seems to score over a hundred more. Um, that, just, look, I've been thinking about it. Hold on to him. I think he's have played against some really negating Ruckman and his time's going to come. He's, it's his solo Ruck. He's easing into it. I'd rather he consistently improves than goes balls to the wall and gets injured in a week or two. And our standing question, who are the V, C, and C options this week? Now, Damo, you and I talk. It's no secret that we're friends. I know that you've got a very spicy one for a VC option this week. Harry Sheasel on Friday, Good Friday football. Good score from Sheasel. <laughs> good Friday, good score. I like that. Um, I mean, like, he scored 114 two weeks in a row and then 120. It's kind of hard to pass him up. But, okay, so not that I don't love the Sheasel, but if he just, like, does he have the, is, it, is he going to go to that level that's like, nah, nah, that's the... Chef's kiss, slice of the pie, VC score. Can I cast your mind back to last season? Oh, here we go. Bringing bringing this up. I mentioned Nick Dacos as a vice-captaincy Smokey, and he scored something like 128 points. And I got messages that weekend saying, I took your vice-captaincy Smokey, and and, and, and I took the score, and I won my league matchup, and I went up in the rankings and people think I'm a genius. I haven't told them it's from your podcast. I got all those sorts of messages. It was actually, it was actually insane. And the week and the week after we, we hop on to record the mailbag and I've got my little head wobbling because yeah. I did good. And Clarkie is, and Clarkie has nothing to say. 
Well, look, even a stopped patch is right twice a year. Um, you know, we we all have those moments. I started Max Gorn, which was great until he done did his MCL. I also in the preseason said that Jaden Hunt might be a good option, and boy, that's working out for people who may or may not have done that. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna start taking credit for more things. But no, you're correct. That he's a good option. I think he plays the early game. He's got a consistent score of 110 plus, which is probably what you want if you're feeling like you want to take a little safe one. Uh, Nick Dacos on the Thursday night is going to be my VC. Um, Josh Dunkley be, is yeah. also in that game. If you're going a bit left and have Oscar McInerney in your ruck line, I don't oh, mind. Yeah. I don't mind him because Collingwood don't have a recognised ruckman in their lineup tomorrow night. Hey, you put some respect on McStay's name. Um, I like Rory Laird against Fremantle. Fremantle have been struggling with their centre clearance, so I think Rory Laird will have a good game there. Uh, Marcus Bontempelli against Richmond is also good because Richmond don't really shut down midfielders. Um, Rowan Marshall against Jared Witts should be an interesting matchup. I don't know if it's captaincy worthy, but vice captaincy, if you're willing to wait that long to have a look. Yeah, depending on where your loop is. Uh... I think most we, people we're both will, running Madden. Most people will have Madden. Some people will have Campbell Chesser now. Um, oh, yeah. So there's all those options. Um, Sydney, Port Adelaide. I don't know if I would choose anyone in that game, but Errol Golden or Connor Rosie are a chance to potentially yep. be good options. Um, I like Tim English as well. Uh, he's had three weeks of 130 plus games. Like I, I yeah. can't think of a reason why you wouldn't even think about like why you wouldn't think about that going up against Richmond. Um, so that'll be that'll be a good game as well. I think James Sicily against Geelong. Geelong aren't known for negating defenders, and James Sicily is good at football. Clayton Oliver playing a depleted West Coast. I think I think Clayton Oliver, and I'm a Melbourne supporter, so I can say this about my boy. But I think he, he could. There is a chance he could just take it easy. Because I think Melbourne do have a... We have a problem. Uh, I said this is a football fan. We have a problem where we might take games in second gear. And we have seen Melbourne in the past against teams that they are trouncing. Take it easy. Remove, let other players kind of get their hands on the ball through the middle a bit. We're all expecting Clayton Oliver to score 140 wouldn't surprise me if it's more like 104. Yeah, and look, that would be fine. I think I think a lot of non-owners will be praying for that 104, but he's he's the contested beast. So hey, that's that's my boy. <laughs> that's my boy. Uh, that's all the questions for today. Thank you for being here, Clarky. Hey, it's the podcast that almost wasn't. I almost had life awareness to pull back the kayfabe a little bit. Yes, but we made it. You you were aware that you had a life outside of Supercoach. I actually wasn't aware, which was the problem with our scheduling. <laughs> Speaking of life outside of Supercoach, Cam was going to be our guest this week. He's actually been scheduled for a week in the future. All the best to him and his family right now. The, something came up that, mean, that meant that he had to attend to that instead. And uh, he'll be on another week. So save your draft questions. We will put a tweet out when that week is here.
we probably should have addressed that at the top of the episode. <laughs> if people, if you stayed this long and you got to hear the apologies from Cam on the official mailbag minutes, um, Cam, we love you. You know, I hope everything will, everything will be okay. Personal awareness, Cam. So, and if you have a question you'd like answered, all you have to do is tag your question with Jock Mailbag on social media. Or send an email to jockmailbag at gmail.com and we may remember to check the inbox. I've got a reminder on my phone now, so it'll happen. There we go. Clarky will check the inbox. And we'll talk next time. Go Dees.